I studied aviation maintenance in school, and we used to joke about how automated airplanes have become. And the joke was that one day the first officer, the pilot in the right seat, will one day be replaced by a dog whose job it will be to bite the captain if he tries to touch anything. <laughs> Which is, of course, a gross exaggeration. My brother is a pilot, and he works very hard. And there's a lot that needs to be known and done to get you from A to B, I can assure you. That does not stop me from giving him a hard time. But all the same, under the right conditions and with the right input, many of today's airliners will, can get you from A to B with little need to touch the controls. They have very advanced toys and gadgets on board. And yet, there is one piece of equipment that in relation to everything else looks archaic, and it's on every airliner. It's a compass. It's just a circular compass, suspended in fluid, front and center in the cockpit. Because just in case, on the off chance that everything else should fail, on a dark night, or a cloudy day when you can't see what's to your left or right, you will still have at least one piece of equipment that will tell you what direction you are pointing. That's how important knowing which direction you are pointing is. Because if you don't know where you're pointing, you have virtually no chance of ending up in the right place. We're starting a series that's going to speak to what direction we are oriented. And we're starting a series of messages called With Eternity in Mind. And through it, we're going through various passages that are going to challenge us as to what is of ultimate importance for us and how it shapes our view, particularly of what we have, our possessions, our money, and the rest of our lives. As Christians, we're supposed to have an eternal perspective that shapes how we live our entire lives. And I've said before that a good way to see what's important to someone is to look at where they spend their time and their money. Which is probably why Jesus has some important things to say about how we view our money and our possessions. And in today's passage, we see that that is fundamentally tied to how we view our lives and what's important to us. And so we're kicking off the series with this passage because in it, Jesus lays out a dichotomy, maybe even an ultimatum for those listening to him that is foundational for viewing things with an eternal perspective. There are two fundamental realities that have different results for us. And one is clearly better, according to Jesus. So what are those realities? What do they mean for us? And more importantly, how do we pick the better one? Jesus tells us a few important things that will help us. And he begins by telling his listeners to not store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasure in heaven. And he then speaks in this language that's a little more cryptic for us modern readers, talking about the eye being the lamp of the body. The thing is, in Jesus' time, the eyes were thought of as channels of light coming from the body. And the eyes was thought 
were thought to illuminate that light. And so if your eyes are bad, then the light within you is darkness. And then how great is that darkness? That's what he means by that. But he's clearly talking in metaphor, and it has ethical connotations. And the metaphor that he's speaking of speaks to generosity. When he talks about healthy eyes, he's talking about a generous lifestyle. In contrast, when he talks about unhealthy eyes, he's talking about stinginess. And so when he's talking about where we're putting our treasure and whether our eyes are healthy or unhealthy, essentially what he's saying is your heart will follow your eyes. What you are focused on will determine what's important to you. As Jesus frames it, generosity is an important indicator as to whether we are focused on earthly things and earthly rewards or heavenly and eternal things and the treasure that comes with it. That is primarily connected to our allegiance. The things that are of primary concern to us indicate where our allegiance lies. But Jesus is sure to tell us that we can't have multiple allegiances. In fact, he draws the line pretty clear. You cannot serve both God and money. Either you will serve God or something else. And it's interesting that he highlights money as the rival master. Because that is an important aspect of our lives. And for Jesus, it's an either or. Either you're going to serve God or something else. And he highlights money. Essentially, to be clear, you will serve something. You can call yourself the captain of your own ship, if you like. That ship is going to be directed by things outside of your hands. And it's either going to be God, with the result of eternal treasure, or something less that comes with byproducts that are going to pass away. And I find it interesting that Jesus, when he talks about the lesser treasure, when he talks about earthly treasure, he doesn't talk about it passing away with death, although that's certainly implied. He talks about things that will take it away now. Moth, vermin, thieves. Whatever you build for yourself, whatever you create for yourself, whatever you accumulate for yourself, to be sure, you can't take it with you after you die. But. Even in this life, there's no guarantee that you can hold on to it. It happens all the time. When the last financial crisis happened, people who had been around for a while, particularly those who had been through the previous financial crisis and the one before that and the one before that, they weren't surprised. Because it happens all the time. And so Jesus reminds us of the greater reward. 
you can't lose the treasure that comes from serving God. And so he urges his listeners to decisively follow God, to live with the right focus, pointing in the right direction on the things of God so that our hearts stay in the right place. Because your heart will follow your eyes. Easier said than done, admittedly. There's no shortage of things that can consume our hearts and our minds, that can compete for God's attention and challenge our allegiance to him. Even things that we need to be paying attention to. Because of this, he tells us plainly and directly, don't worry about temporary things. And he names the basic needs that can consume our concerns, particularly if we are of limited means. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And I don't care who you are. You can put whatever you want in that list. Do not worry about your house or your apartment or your career or your car. In fact, Whatever it is you're hoping I don't put in that list, go ahead and put it in the list. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. And as if anticipating the objection, but Lord, I need food. I need water. I got to wear something. I got to pay the bills somehow. He tells you why he's telling you not to worry. Look at how God provides for these things that aren't nearly as valuable as yourself. God feeds the birds. He clothes even the grass that will one day become kindling. You don't have to worry about these things because God is the one who will take care of it. He feeds the birds that aren't as valuable as you. He clothes the grass that passes away. Now understand, Jesus is not inviting us to negligence. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't plan. I very much advocate for both of those things. In fact, our denomination has very good resources that will help you plan financially, that will help you invest so that you can save for the future. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about priorities. He's telling us to not let those temporary things become our primary focus. In doing so, he is giving us permission to be at peace about the temporary matters so that we can serve God. And then he essentially says, and why not? Why not let God worry about those things? Will worrying make any of those things happen? Will worrying add a single hour to your life? No. It won't. In fact, modern medicine tells us it's the opposite. 
The more worry, the more stress you are under. It's unhealthy. It actually shortens your lifespan. So why not let God worry about it? As one scholar put it, we can serve God because God is serving us. It's interesting that even the Mark passage we read, we saw an extreme example of this with Jesus. His cousin had just died. And he tells his disciples, let's go find a place and rest. And then continues to teach and continue his kingdom ministry. With this command that Jesus gives us, Not to, he presents an alternative. He gives us a point of reference, a, tr- a point on our compass to orient ourselves to, something to give primary concern to our efforts, our thoughts, our time, and our money. He tells us what is supposed to be of primary importance to us in contrast to the temporary. God's kingdom and God's righteousness. That doesn't mean he didn't mourn his cousin. That doesn't mean we don't worry about the needs of our lives. It means that even in the midst of all those things, we prioritize God's kingdom. It is the rule of God, the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, same thing. It's the places and the ways that God has his way. Our primary concern should be seeking God's kingdom by how we live. And living that way requires a trust in God that the rest of the world simply does not have. When he says the pagans run after these things, he's not talking about the modern spiritual movements that identify with that term. He's simply saying people who don't have faith in the living God In our context, that can be anything secular. And you don't have to look far to find out that this is not the way most of our world lives. The conventional wisdom, especially for those of us who have means, and even for many of us who don't, is simply to acquire more stuff. Better stuff. Newer stuff which is probably why consumer debt is at an all-time high. We keep running up the credit cards, even if we don't have the money to pay for stuff, because we want stuff. But for, for people struggling to make ends meet, the temptation may not be acquiring possessions so much as focusing on need over God. But Jesus has something for both rich and poor in this passage. And for the rich, for those of us who can eat whenever we want, for those of us with full fridges, for those of us who know how our bills are going to be paid, for those of us who have cluttered closets filled with stuff, we very much need to consider where our treasure lies. 
Are we so consumed with our stuff that we are afraid to give to God's purposes because we won't be able to acquire more? Because we may not be able to reach that target number in our bank account. For those of us struggling, maybe living check to check or maybe for whom check to check doesn't even cover your expenses. It's worth recognizing first that most of Jesus' listeners are poor. In positions to be asking, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Jesus' message to those concerned about their need is that God knows the need, and it is God who provides for the need. It's also worth mentioning that if those of us with means prioritized God's kingdom and God's righteousness, people wouldn't have to worry about their needs. That's why Jesus calls us to healthy eyes, to a generous lifestyle. That's why he tells us to seek first his kingdom. And because God is providing for our needs, because of that reality, because God is serving us no matter who we are, or what we do or do not have, we can seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness. We have permission to be at peace as we live the way Jesus is teaching. And the thing is, it's not just, when he's talking about the kingdom and his righteousness, it's not something off in the distant future. It is now. It is here now. God is at work in the world, and he's inviting us to participate. It's now, but it's not temporary. It's also eternal. It contrasts with and surpasses the temporary because Jesus' kingdom is now, but one day he will bring it in its fullness. And so it's worth asking ourselves, where's our compass pointing? What heading are we on? Are we oriented to the temporary or to the eternal? What are we prioritizing? To put it bluntly and practically, where are we spending our time and money? Does the answer to that question reflect a priority on God's kingdom or on temporary things? Does the answer reflect a lifestyle of generosity or of selfishness? These realities are the ones that will inform where we are pointing. And if God's kingdom and righteousness is our focus, if that's the direction that we're headed, then we can be at peace when the rest of the world worries. And we can be confident in treasure that will outlast anything this world can offer us. Let's continue worshiping with the Lord's Supper.